We are home stretching. We're continuing on in this Faith IRL series as we continue to dig into Paul's first letter to the Church of Corinth, the book of 1 Corinthians, and about how our faith can and should play out in real life issues. So a question to get us started today, how many of you have had a roommate or got married and learned pretty quickly that they did not do things exactly the same way as you? Show of hands. Probably almost everybody in this room, right? Now, my personality type is one that almost everything that I do, I do very intentionally because I've thought through it, and I've concluded that it is the best, or maybe I would say even the right way to do it. So, for instance, we buy good tissues in our house, and so when I pull tissues out of a box, I pull one tissue. When I load the dishwasher, maybe some of you can relate to this, I have a very specific way that I believe it ought to be loaded for maximum fit and maximum clean. Anyone else? Maybe. When I fold laundry, I've determined the fold for each item that seems the most efficient for me to fit the most items of clothing in my drawers. Now, oddly enough, when my wife and I got married, and now even almost 14 years later, I continue to discover that she doesn't do things the same right way as me. Can you imagine that? And so many times I go on these little righteous crusades to try to prove that my way is the best way. And so here's something that I need to hear, and maybe you need to hear it this morning as well, that my way, that your way is not the right way, it's just a way. And it almost pains me to even say that. <laughs> But it's just a preference, right? A truth that I heard a few years ago that really stuck out to me is that we tend to make virtues out of our preferences, right? Like we decide that because we prefer something one way over all the other ways, that that must mean that that is the right way and that everyone ought to do it that way. Now, that realization has been a bit of a growth area for me, we will say, but is anyone else willing to admit this morning that, like me, maybe they're a little bit of a right-way snob? Anyone brave enough to admit that to yourself this morning? Thank you. Thank you for helping me out. Now, while some differences between us and others are just silly little things like how many tissues we pull out of a box at a time, other differences are big, overarching, very personal-feeling differences. And we try to make our way the way, just like we do with little things, we do the same with these big things as well. And what happens when we do that? Well, because of these big differences, we see things like socioeconomic class wars and racism and generational gaps and political tirades and endless discussions over what groups of people should have what set of rights. Now, sadly, human nature has proven that it does not do well in dealing with differences. Our nation does not have the best track record for how human beings created by God have been treated who are different than the majority or the people in power. And regardless of whether specific statues or flags or monuments remain standing or come down, the truth is that atrocities have happened in our country with how people have been treated. And to ignore that they've happened or to pretend that they haven't happened is to ignore that our human nature comes with a propensity to treat people different than us as less than and that that still can and still does happen today. 
Now, maybe we would like to think that the church would be immune to this or that somehow we would just be automatically equipped to deal with differences better than everyone else because we believe in Jesus. But if you've been trying to follow Jesus for any length of time, I'm guessing that you've realized that in this quest to become like him, it's not just an overnight thing, right? Becoming holy, becoming loving, it's the journey of a lifetime, and one that needs to be done in partnership with God, just like we talked about in the first week of the series, like it highlights in 1 Corinthians 1. It's not relationship, it's not laws, or you should do this kind of stuff that humbles our hearts to take just action on behalf of others. It's only relationship with Jesus that motivates our hearts to take steps towards his best for us and his best for all people. And as we've dug into some challenging truths in the past few weeks from Paul in 1 Corinthians, we've seen that we really do need our faith. We need that active relationship with Jesus to impact how we live in real life. Because oftentimes what God invites us to is going to seem contrary to everything that our human nature or to everything that our culture would espouse as the most logical or easiest path to travel. You probably remember our theme verse for the series. Maybe you can even say it in your sleep by now. 1 Corinthians 1.25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God's ways may seem upside down to our culture's way, but God's wisdom is still the best wisdom. And in a little while, we're going to take a look at some of God's wisdom from the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 8. But as you know, it's always important for us to have a little bit of the context, some historical, some cultural context first. And so in this instance, Paul, uh, who was a Jew, an Israelite, was called to bring the gospel not just to fellow Jewish people, but also to the Gentiles as well. And the Gentiles basically, in essence, were just people who were not Jews. Now, Jews and Gentiles were very different. Imagine that. <laughs> and so as Paul tries to build this church of Jews and Gentiles, he knew he needed to address and challenge people in their differences and how those differences led them to think about and treat each other in ways that were not God's best. Now, the specific difference that Paul was addressing in chapter 8 was this. Some Corinthian Christians had formerly participated in Roman cults where animals were sacrificed to idols, and then the meat from those sacrifices was sold at a discount in the open market. Now, the Christians in that day who believed that idols had no power to corrupt what God had created— and maybe were frugal, like some of us, they bought this discounted meat, and they ate this discounted meat, and they pointed to what Jesus said, which was that it isn't what you put in your body that corrupts you, but rather what festers in your heart and what comes out of your mouth. But <laughs> there were other Corinthian Christians who were gravely offended by this because they would never eat meat sacrificed to idols whether due to emotions or to memories or convictions, they held a strong opinion that to do so was almost immoral or sacrilegious. Now, I'm guessing that buying discounted meat sacrificed to idols is probably not an issue for you in your everyday life. <laughs> but the principles that Paul lays out in verses 1 through 3 help us know how to deal with the things that cause division among us today. Now, maybe you're thinking, like, is it really even worth it? Like, why bother? We're not going to be even be able to scratch the surface of all of the different issues that separate people today. Well, here's why we will bother. 
because God's word is very clear about the importance of unity and about the end result or the end picture that unity will bring, as well as what it is that really unites us. I want to invite you to pull out your outline, if you haven't already, and to look at, to read along to Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10 with me. It says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. This is the picture not just of what will happen in heaven, but also of what God's will is for us here on earth. You remember how Jesus prayed, Don't you thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The family of God, the people of God we see in this picture are not and will not be of just one ethnic heritage. They are not American or kin. No, the church is a family of diverse and different people united under the banner of Christ. The church is a family of diverse and different people united under the banner of Christ. God created people. God created all people. God created all very different people to be part of his family. And when it comes to God's family, Revelation 7, that's like our family portrait. Diverse people united under the banner of Christ. God says, this is who you are, so it's time that you become who I've said you are. So let's jump into 1 Corinthians 8, where Paul shares some principles about how we can become this united family that we were created to be, differences and all. So verse 1, it says, Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. And this was such a pushback against their culture, and it's such a pushback against our culture as well, right? Of course we all have knowledge, Paul's saying. Of course we all have what we would say are educated opinions, and that knowledge, those opinions, can make us feel important. But it's not knowledge, but love that strengthens the church. Knowledge, or anything, can make us feel like we're a pretty big deal. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. But as it relates to knowledge, have you ever weakened your relationship with your spouse or your kids because you knew more than them, you knew what you felt was right, and it was more important for you to be right than to honor or to listen to their point of view? Or maybe you've been on the other side of it. Like, have you ever had someone make you feel dumb for saying or thinking something? In that moment, I'm sure you did not feel loved. Because someone was trying to use knowledge, or at least their perception of knowledge, as a power play on you to put themselves above you. Have you ever tried to use knowledge or your way of thinking to power play someone, to knock them down a few pegs so that you could feel superior to them? Paul says that's not God's way. Living out the gospel, it's not about knowledge. It's not about how much you know or think you know. It's about love. Maybe you've heard it said before, and I love this quote, that people won't care how much you know 
until they know how much you care. And I think that plays out. Think about it this way. Why is it that we can receive what we can receive from God? Why is it that we can listen to God's word, that we can listen to God's knowledge and let it challenge us? It's because he has proven how much he cares for us, right? Jesus died for the smart and the dumb. He died for the rich and the poor. He died for the red and yellow, black and white, like the old Sunday school song says. We are all precious in his sight, and he loves all of us with an everlasting love. And so Paul is trying to help us see that when it comes to dealing with people different than we are, that we need to follow Christ's model, that we need to move towards them. People of different preferences, people of different values, people of different backgrounds, people of different ethnicities, we need to move towards them in love. Because anything less than that lacks the true power of the gospel. Again, remember back to our message from three weeks ago that faith without love or knowledge without love or anything without love is just a powerless philosophy. Now, this was a real challenge for the people of Corinth because their heritage, their backgrounds were so vastly different. Some were Jewish and some were Greek, and some grew up worshiping idols and eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. Some grew up studying philosophers. Some grew up with extremely strict religious practices. And now, all of a sudden, here they are, and they found themselves one family sharing a common thing, but they all worshiped Jesus Christ. And Paul says, listen, you're all one family now, and so even though you're very different from one another, it's time for you to start to learn how to move towards each other in love and to treat each other like family. Do you know what happens when you move towards someone who views things very differently than you and who has vastly different perspectives than you? What happens is that you are faced with a choice. Do you prioritize knowledge? Do you prioritize, almost in your mind, putting yourself above that person because you think you know what's right? Or do you value what Jesus valued? Do you value the person? Do you prioritize loving them in word and in deed? What will you value most? Will you value feeling right? Or will you value being in a level relationship because both of you stand beneath the foot of the cross together. You know, isn't it odd that America has always philosophically prided itself on being a melting pot, of finding diversity, or finding unity, rather, in diversity, and yet most times we are unable to live this out. An article from the National Review in 2016 stated that sometime in the late 20th century, America largely gave up on multiracialism and opted instead for multiculturalism, in which each particular ethnic group retained its tribal chauvinism and saw itself as separate from the whole. And so here it is again, right, that mindset, that, that my way is better than your way mindset, and that you and I are too different to ever get along. So it would be easier, it would be better for everyone involved if we would just stay separated from each other. But nothing could be further from this picture in Revelation 7, where these incredibly diverse members of God's family come together to celebrate what we have in common, an unbelievably loving Savior. 
to this tribal chauvinism, as the National Review called it, or this prevalence of my way is the right way kind of thinking that we talked about earlier. Paul continues on and challenges us in verses 2 and 3. He says, anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. Ouch. (laughs) Verse 3, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. In other words, it is foolish, it is prideful for us to think that we have all the answers. It is downright silly for us to think that our preferences are virtues. And furthermore, I believe Paul would say it is simply unhelpful for us to distance ourselves from people who we don't understand or who we don't share preferences with. The person who loves God, he says, which implies the person who loves what and who God loves That is the one God will recognize. That is the one whose life will look more like Jesus' life. You know, Albert Einstein was once quoted as saying, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. (laughs) I love that quote, and I love the attitude of humility that that quote conveyed. Because maybe if we valued really getting to know people who are different from us, Number one, maybe we'd realize just how much we don't know and how much people's experiences shape their perspectives. And number two, maybe we would see the beauty in our diversity and realize that what we thought we knew, the knowledge that we claimed to have, pales in comparison to the joy and the life change that can come from learning from them and loving them. But here's the problem for most of us, me included. It's that we tend to gravitate towards people who agree with us, right? Who are like us. We worship with people who like to worship the way that we do. Politically, we gravitate towards people who hold the same views as us. And as a result, I think sometimes unknowingly, we fall into this chauvinistic thinking, as that article said, right? That our knowledge, that our preferences, that our right ways are the only ways that God honors but Paul says, you're, you're not even playing in the right game. <laughs> like you're over here playing in the knowledge game and you're never going to win in this game. It's the love game that matters. Love proves to God and to others the value and the impact of your faith. And to move towards someone in love when they are different than you, it takes humility. Moving towards someone in love when they are different than you takes humility. It takes openness. See, prideful people, right people, rarely move closer to others different than them. But humble people do. To exercise humility means that we listen. It means that we ask questions. It means that we seek to understand them before or instead of trying to be understood ourselves. To be humble means that we make the person more important than the issue, because God says that loving him and that loving others is what matters most. It's building loving relationships that strengthen the church and strengthen the church's witness to others. Now, I grew up here in central Pennsylvania, and especially when I was a kid, this was not a very ethnically or culturally diverse area. And because of that, I wasn't really seriously confronted on any kind of a regular basis with the differences between different ethnicities or cultures. I was just used to being around people similar to me. And maybe that's been some of your experiences as well. Living most of your life in this same-as-you bubble, 
that made you unaware to how people living in a different-than-you world were experiencing life. And while that same-as-you bubble can feel comfortable, (laughs) sadly, oftentimes, it also makes us ignorant to what's happening in the world around us. This week, MLK Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail was shared with me, and King wrote this letter as a response to a public statement of caution that was issued to him by eight white religious leaders of the South. And basically what they said is, hey, it's time for you to end this quest for equality and dignity, because if you don't, the oppressors might be incited. And this was an instance where King was imprisoned for peaceful, nonviolent protests. And I want to read just a snippet of this letter to you that impacted me this week. He said, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to just wait until a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And these words were written years ago, but as I read them this week, I found myself in the middle of them. I found myself being challenged by them. When it comes to lack of equality and dignity for ethnic minorities today, where am I? Am I more devoted to order than justice? Do I have goodwill but a shallow understanding? Do I have lukewarm acceptance of the efforts of ethnic minorities to bring about equality and dignity? Do I lack enough humility to desire to actively listen to and engage with people different than me who have a very different understanding and experience of the world? See, love that transcends differences is love that does so not just through humility, but through proximity. You can't truly understand or listen to what someone else has had to walk through unless you make the choice to move close enough to listen. And humility and proximity are conduits of grace and oneness. Humility and proximity are conduits of grace and oneness. In other words, when we move towards someone in humility, grace can flow through us and into us. And oneness, not sameness, but oneness, finding unity and diversity can occur. This idea of moving in love towards people who are different than you is foundational in the gospel. I would say it is a non-negotiable practice of becoming like Jesus. If you are trying to become like Jesus, this is a practice you have to engage in. Paul shows us how Jesus modeled this to us in Ephesians 2.14. He said, for Christ himself has brought peace to us He united Jews and Gentiles into one people 
when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Paul told the church at Ephesus, Christ has put us together. Because of what he did, he made relationship more valuable than religion. He made love more important than law. He, he squashed the divisive impact of our differences to make us one loving, united family, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the Most High God. You know, one of my favorite lines at weddings is the line that says, what God has brought together, let no man put asunder. Asunder is such a great word. And sadly, not many people use the word asunder in a wedding anymore. I always am like, duh, when I go to a wedding and I don't use it. Instead, what they say is, what God has put together, let no man separate. And I would say, based on that scripture, Christ has brought us together. Let's not be the ones that separate what Christ has united. Let's not be the ones that rebuild walls of hostility that Christ came to knock down. Now, if you're here today and you're like me and you've lived most of your life in kind of this same as bubble, you might not think there is much of an issue with race or with culture differences because you just simply haven't experienced them. And so we wanted to share some thoughts with you from Jose, who's a member of our Good Hope Road Church family. Jose came here as a mixed Puerto Rican and Costa Rican as a teenager, and I want to invite you this morning via video to listen to and to learn from his experiences with me. Yeah, growing up uh, poor in Puerto Rico, uh, it was very loving. Uh, we didn't really miss many things that maybe today we would miss, like electronics and, and things that really are not tangible. But growing up, my mom was Costa Rican, my dad was Puerto Rican. So there was already a, a cultural difference. And although it was never spoken, it was kind of understood that there was differences there moving forward. And I really didn't feel that until I came to the United States at 15, where I felt always that there was a big difference there between culturally diversity and language. That's where I really felt the difference. I always felt that I was either too young, too dark, too short. There was always something that drove me kind of uh, to force myself to be part of a team, part of something. And Although that brought a lot of success in my life, over brought over obstacles because I became someone that had set expectations about the world. The world had it to me, so I portrayed that to other people in that aspect. But I felt always that I had to move forward and do something more than the average person. Particular Americans believe that if you're not of certain status, of certain color, you must be something. And, and that something could be many different things. Um, just not knowing who that person is, it puts you in a, in a, in a, in a place where you are uh, below something. And sometimes people, depends on their personalities, might just go back to their own culture and 
limit their ability to grow in many ways, spiritually, professionally, personally. Uh, and you have to really be intentional. You have to go out and reach and talk to people, get to know them. And that thing, there was a lot of perceived uh, nauseous going around, around who I am. Or, you know, you're Spanish, so you must be from X country. Or you're Spanish, so you must not have education or lack of, or you don't know this culture. So that, it could be intimidating. It could feel alone. Uh, feels that you don't belong here. Um, and it, it, it could damage you if you're not really intentional. And, and without a faith and, and a support group, you, you could really get into a, a bad state. Yeah, I think spending the time with someone, whether it's cultural differences or color, whatever that is, language, uh, means a lot for that person. Um, I know in the past I've had people generally want to know where, where I came from and uh, get to know me as a person, not as what I do, what I have, what I don't have, what I look like, and that really finding similarities, whether it's sports or faith or belief, uh, that really creates a, a bond that surpasses color and cultures. Um, and, but you have to be intentional. You really have to spend that time with that person uh, and get to know them as they who they are uh, before you can really share their faith with them. When I listen to Jose's experiences and when I realize that I am his brother in Christ, I realize that his experiences need to become mine. I realize that in my ignorance, in my lack of noticing and knowing and acting, that I've fallen short. And I have to say to Jose and to God and to others who have been made to feel less than because of their ethnic or cultural differences, I'm sorry. I chose not to be aware, and I need to become aware, so I'm sorry. And his story got me thinking, how many times have I failed to move towards someone different than me because of a language barrier or because of a cultural difference? Now, maybe you caught this and maybe you didn't. It was only part of this reflection made the video. Jose actually gave us about 25 minutes of content. It was tough to boil it all down into four minutes. But one of the things that he said is that in his differences, he felt like he was forced to move towards others because no one really intentionally moved towards him. And as the people of God, I would have to believe that this grieves the heart of the Father. This shouldn't be. We need to lean into a posture of humility we need to cultivate a desire for curiosity and wonder. We need to grow a heart of compassion. We need to be okay with being confronted by what we don't know and let it rock our worlds a little bit. Here's the truth. God loves our differences. He loves our diversity. After all, God is the one who created it. I don't think God thought, let me create different races. I think he thought, let me create diverse people who all reflect my image in a different way. And so who are we to fear 
or to dislike or to, to say one difference is superior to another difference when God designed all of them. Now, what about people, we might ask, who would say, well, I don't believe in Jesus. Are they too fundamentally different than us for us to love and to move towards them? Pastor Rick Warren, a Saddleback, uh, the pastor at Saddleback Church in California, he says this. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you must agree with everything they believe or do. Both of these suppositions are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions in order to be compassionate. We've got to move past this either you agree with me or you against me, you're against me kind of mentality in our culture. I mean, if you think about it, parents, do you always agree with your kids? Of course not, right? <laughs> But does that mean that you can't move towards them? Does that mean that you can't love your children? Of course not. And even if someone's beliefs or lifestyle is diametrically opposed to yours, didn't Jesus say, love your enemies? This whole, if they don't believe with my, uh, if they don't agree with my beliefs, then I, I can't engage with them thing, and I can't love them thing. It's just nonsense, and it's totally non-biblical. Listen, God will never compromise the truth that brings life and freedom. And Jesus certainly did not avoid conversations about sin, about things that were harming us. But knowing the truth did not prevent Jesus from loving us enough to come and to live among us and to seek to understand us and to grow empathy for us. And in Philippians 2, we see that love formula of Jesus, that proximity, moving towards someone, plus humility, equals empathy. Proximity plus humility equals empathy. That was the way of Jesus, and it ought to be the way of his followers today. So we've talked in general terms so far, but let's take a look at a real-life application for these principles. Let's look at dun, 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 politics. Now stay with me. Don't get lost. I think, and see if you agree, that if you would apply this biblical principle to politics, here's what that would mean. That if you feel hostility towards others because they have a different political perspective, because you lean right and they lean left or the other way around, I think God would challenge you to break down the walls of hostility between you and that person by humbly moving towards them in love. Would you agree? <laughs> but this is where the rubber meets the road. Where God says, it doesn't matter if you agree. It doesn't matter if you know that you're supposed to move towards someone in love who is different than you. What matters is that you do it. <laughs> How else could this principle apply to politics? Well, maybe you need to stop watching CNN or Fox News, depending upon which side of the political aisle you sit. Why would I say that? Because they both hostily villainize the people with different beliefs on the opposite side. Maybe watching these stations nurtures anger from your old nature. 
You remember that message back in the month of June that whatever nature you nurture is the nature that's going to grow stronger. And so will you keep nurturing your old nature, your sinful nature, the nature that fills you with anger, or will you instead choose to nurture your new nature, the nature of Christ, the nature of love? Now, this is just one example of how these principles from Paul could or should play out into our faith in real life. But listen, all of these differences, race, politics, cultures, socioeconomic differences, when we get to heaven, they're not going to matter. No one will be complaining that the person next to them voted differently than they did. No one will be whining that the worship isn't happening in English. Germans will worship next to Jews. No one will be superior. No one will be inferior. All people will be equal in the presence of Jesus. And if our differences won't matter in heaven, if Jesus wants to bring his kingdom to earth, if he wants his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then why would we let these differences matter today? I want to return to Revelation 7, but I took the liberty to create a little bit of a paraphrase based on the message today, so feel free just to listen while I read it. After this, I saw an innumerable amount of people from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language, from every political party. People who struggled with every sin imaginable, who held every viewpoint possible, and they all stood together before Jesus' throne. All their differences, all their impurities, all their struggles were made clean as signified by their white robes. They waved palm branches and they shouted, God has saved us. God has saved all of us, every single one of us, from the first to the last, to the whitest of the white, to the blackest of the black, from the leftest of the left to the rightest of the right, from the holiest to the messiest. Because we called on his name, we can praise our Lord Jesus Christ for erasing all of our sin and all of our struggle and all of our junk and for negating the divisive impact of every single difference between us. This is who we are as part of God's family. Christ has made us one, united by our surrender to Jesus. It's time for us to move into that shared identity and to move towards each other in love, even in all of our differences. I want to invite you to listen to and to be challenged by the words of a song. The first time I heard it, it was one of those stop me in my tracks kind of songs because it conveyed such a truth that I needed to hear. And I hope that it causes you to continue to wrestle with what God has spoken to you today as well. So would you open yourself up to the challenge of God as you listen to this song. Let me be saved as kindness and compassion
Jesus has empowered us to overcome hostility, to experience the gospel more powerfully by moving towards people different than us in love. Are you ready to make that move this morning? Maybe that sounds intimidating, and it may be. It probably will challenge you. But as the verse that we looked at earlier said, Christ himself brought peace to us, and he still does. So go in and with Christ, and you'll go in and with peace. Maybe moving towards someone totally different than you seems a little bit too messy, and let me affirm, it will be messy. But if scripture shows us one thing, it's that God shows up, that God does his best work in the middle of the mess. I mean, after all, Jesus came into the middle of our mess so that we might be reconciled to him. It's okay that this is messy. Embrace the mess. Maybe you hear this encouragement to move towards someone different than you and you just don't even know where to start. And I would encourage you this morning, start with curiosity. Hold firmly to the gospel truth, but let go of things that are just opinions or preferences. 
Enter with humility. Enter with proximity. And see if God doesn't give you empathy and start to create unity with that person. And remember, it is not your job to make others the same as you. That's not even God's design. But it is your job to always be ready to share the reason for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. What if this year you made just one move towards someone who is different from you? One move towards God's family portrait. Here's a great challenge. What if you changed your dinner table? What if you chose even just once to start to sit down for a meal with someone totally different than you and to love them the way that Jesus loves you? Not as a favor to them, not as a favor to God, but because that's what it means to truly live out the gospel. You're not going to change our culture, but you can change your dinner table. And who knows what God will change in you as you choose to do so. I want to encourage you now as the band continue to play for a minute to grab that response card from your program guide if you haven't already and to continue to process what it is that God has spoken to you today. Feel free to record something related to the message or to record a prayer request today. Feel free also at any time through the rest of the service to go back to the prayer room to have someone pray over you and whatever request you have before you leave today. But take the time to sit with the way that the Lord has challenged you and spoken to you this morning and to pray about what your next step might be. Lord, thank you that you love every single one of us. Different, diverse, beautiful, broken people. You love us all as beloved sons and daughters. God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you challenge us today? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.